You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. So we asked today, what is the difference between Christian fellowship? What marks Christian fellowship? What marks those bought by Christ? And John finishes his third test in our text today. As we've read before, we've read that uh, the one who is in the light walks in the light, and if the one who says he's in the light walks in the darkness, he is not in the light. And so we see if someone says they are something and yet they do something different, they aren't dwelling in the light. This is the ending portion of three tests of fellowship we have covered so far. And after this section today, in verses 18 18 through 20, you'll see that John will talk about the Antichrist, those who have left the fellowship of the church. And so we ask today, what is different about Christian fellowship? And I'll give you three reasons and a hidden fourth one that will come at the end. So the first one, we love each other in the light of Christ. The second, we have a new identity in Christ. And the third, we love God, not sin in Christ. The doctrine I want to emphasize today is that in the new birth in Christ, both the believer and the fellowship of the believers is completely changed. Both the believer individually is permanently changed by the new birth and both the how the believers interact is permanently changed. Our fellowship is different both with each other and with the world. And much of love is spoken in our text today, as Pastor Adam read, and much in our day confuses this term, confounds this term. So let's read from 1 Corinthians 13, 1-7 and see what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-7. You don't need to turn there just yet. I'll read it for you. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And just one note before we get going, I'm primarily going to read from the NASB today, and you will mostly see ESV on the uh, uh, slide behind me, and you might have a different translation in your Bible. So three different ways, you might get three different angles at the same text. So by God's grace, we will get to uh, clarity on this. And the Holy Spirit says in this passage from Paul that this is the true test of true Christian fellowship. Not our individual abilities, not individual giftings, not even giving your body to be burned, but that we love one another. So this is the true test of fellowship in the church. So back to our doctrine, the believer and the believer's fellowship are permanently changed. And before we start, we must believe this. For John believed this, else why would he say what he said? The commands and warnings 
Given in our text today, John had to believe would have purchase on them, for he believed, as we believe, that they have the Holy Spirit. So in him speaking the words of the Holy Spirit to those who are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, he believed that they would have purchase on them. And we believe that the Holy Spirit will work these words in us, conforming us to the image of the Son of God. And secondly, and when you hear, when you Christian hear commands and warnings in a text, what are we to do with them? These commands and warnings today to love your brother, to hold your identity in Christ, and to not love the world are for you to examine yourselves while knowing that your sin is forgiven, past tense. As Christians, we want nothing of rebellion. We want nothing of rebellion to God. We want nothing of the sin that Christ has saved us from. So, as we hear these warnings, we examine ourselves. And if there be conviction in the Spirit, we repent, knowing that your sins are forgiven. Just like as Pastor Adam preached, those who are in the light confess their sin. They bring it to the Father. So please look with me at 1 John chapter 2, 7-11. through 11. I'll read it again for you. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. And the old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. And the one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So first... We love each other in the light of Christ. And John addresses them as beloved, as loved of him, as loved of God. As we've said, John is a pastor and now most likely an old man and is writing to those he dearly loves. This is the mindset and the tenor throughout the letter, throughout our text today. Don't lose this as you hear commands and as you hear warnings. Hear them from a loving shepherd. In this commandment they have heard is how to love God. Right? He says, I am writing, uh, I'm sorry, he says, uh, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. This is the old commandment of the, summarizing the first table of the Ten Commandments. This is the old commandment saying to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. However, this is not an old commandment as in old or decaying or passed away, but rather old as in fixed, ancient of God, immovable, immutable, never-ending. The old commandment proceeds to love God with all your heart. And we must treat this as established, as understood, as of God. And accordingly, this is not a new commandment. He says, this is a new commandment, however, he says, you have heard, right? So this isn't new to them. For John knows, as we know, that as Christians, we are to be weary of a new commandment or a new doctrine or a new wave of doctrine or a new trend or a new anything. We are to be weary of these new teachings, for they distract and deceive the believer. This is what John is saying, and this is is not new as in uh, something you must be weary of. And we see again the phrase, the use of the phrase, in the light. We've read that many times this far, haven't we? Associated with a test in that statement. If someone says, I am in the light, and yet does something different, 
we know that what he says is not in fact what he is. So first in chapter 1, we see walking in the light is confessing sin, knowing that God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin. And conversely, walking in darkness is attempting to hide or ignore our sin. And as Pastor, Pastor Adam said, remember, confession of sin is our confession of faith, for we bring our sin, we confess it knowing that our Father has forgiven our sin. For we bring in the light that which we know the Father has already forgiven, yet we bring it in the light all the same. And second, in chapter 2, we walk in the light by keeping His Word, and this shows that we are His and he produces this obedience in us to keep his word. For Philippians 2.13 says, God is both willing the will to obey and the obedience. Remember, these are born of God, and so they will act as those born of God. And conversely, walking in darkness is speaking love for God while acting in opposition to his word. So see that each of these tests is directly associated with someone saying, I am in the light, and then subsequently comparing that proclamation with their action. And our text is another test of the professing believer, a test of being in the light, whether we love one another. Remember, as Paul said, if I am all of these things, if I can do all of these things, if I give my body to be burned, and yet I do not love one another, I am not in the light, though I may say I am. So see the contrast in these passages that have persisted, light and darkness as love and hatred. And remember from chapter 1, remember John said, I write so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father. So whoever walks in the light of Christ, loving one another, has fellowship with other believers, and they are cleansed from their sin because of Christ. Similarly, we see what a paradox, the one who confesses their sin is the one who is cleansed of their unrighteousness. So look at the opposites again. The one who says he is in the light and yet does something contrary is not in the light. And the one who is silent about his sin makes God a liar and is not cleansed of his unrighteousness. So, little children, let us walk in the light. Now look closely at the structure of sentence, uh, sentence in verse 8, please. He says, On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And we've said already that this is a new commandment, but is already shining. This commandment is already true in Christ and is already true in the address. And why is it true? He's writing them a commandment, and yet he's saying it's already true, already manifested, already present among the believers. It's true because Christ is already shining in them. He's already made them born of God. And we may, may read the darkness passing away as twofold, both the former life of sin and enslavement, as we sang about, but God. The former life of sin and enslavement and the immaturity of new believers, that we, we both emerge out of sin enslavement and we emerge out of immaturity. Both are passing away and unto a new life and maturing work in Christ. For God both makes the man new and the Spirit both makes the man like Christ. 
The new commandment is true because the light is already shining, as we said, already manifested, already present among the believers. And this true light already shining makes us remember John 1, 1 through 9, when we preached that a, a while ago, that Christ is the light that John the Baptist was preaching about. This light came into the world and was the life of man. So we see that the light of the world, Christ, is the light of Christian fellowship, the light of this fellowship, the light of believers together. And the new commandment is to love one another as Christ commanded us. This sums up the second table of the Ten Commandments, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's true already, like we said, because the believers are demonstrating it. And it's true in Christ because 1 John 3.16 says, we know love by this, that He laid down His life for us. So God's love is manifest in both His word and His action toward us. Therefore, the obedience to the commandment that is already shining is of the Holy Spirit. And the command of the apostle follows, both duly confirming God's word. The obedience is already present. And then John speaks the command, both confirming that this is what God intends for his people. To see this succinctly, please turn to John, 1 John 3, 23 through 24. Just one page over. 1 John 3, 23 through 24. This is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another just as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in Him. And we know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. And so verse 10 continues, the one who loves his brother has no internal cause to stumble. Therefore, if you don't love your brother, you're in the darkness, and this darkness is not external to you. It may be external to you, but is in fact from you. See it again in verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 11. The one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So it's the threefold darkness. In the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't see which way he's going. Why? Because his darkness, the one who hates his brother, has blinded his eyes. Though as much as when we are frustrated, we may think we see clearly, or hateful, we may think we see clearly, but in fact, it is our darkness that is blinding our eyes. And John will continue this theme throughout the rest of his letter, saying, He who hates his brother has committed murder of him in his heart. And the one who hates his brother does not have eternal life abiding in him. So we see abiding in Christ is outward manifestation of an inward regeneration. And the heart is transformed only by the Holy Spirit. Indwelled only by the Holy Spirit. And so this makes the common phrase, follow your heart, quite suspect, doesn't it? Let's hear from Jeremiah, the heart deceives and is utterly sick, Jeremiah 17.9. The heart unregenerated, unregenerated, provides the darkness and then leads around in the darkness. However, the heart regenerated by Christ is illuminated by the Holy Spirit. And the one who is in the light sees his brother and how not to sin against him. And conversely, the one who hates is stupefied by his own anger and thus sins against his brother. Remember, John wrote at the beginning of our chapter, he says, little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. 
And so we see the state of the new birth. Both the believer's heart and the environment of the fellowship of Christians are changed. And there's it's a clarification here that may be, uh, I may need to clear something up that may be a misunderstanding. Let's look at verse 10 again. Verse 10. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. There's that description again, right? Abides in the light. And we are told to not hate your brother, to not have hate in your heart for your brother. So let's remember what this abides in the light means, right? Remember that the one who abides in the light is the one who confesses their sin, knowing the Father's forgiveness. Remember Pastor Brett preached last week quoting Steve Lawson saying, this is the direction of of your life rather than the perfection of your life. Therefore, we see that from verse 10 that to love your brother doesn't mean you won't sin against him. It doesn't mean that you will in fact be perfect, but rather because you walk in the light, you will repent of that which you have done. So the distinction isn't in Christian fellowship that we wouldn't sin against one another, but that we would rather see our sin and confess our faith by confessing our sin. So we see that Christian fellowship is marked by loving each other in Christ. And how do we love our brother and thus abide in the light? Remember what Paul said, love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, is not taken to account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Let's look at our next verses in chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So Christian fellowship is marked by a common identity. Here, each one of those addresses a common identity in Christ. We must ask, why does John insert this section in between exhortations before to love your brother and exhortations after to not love the world? I would say this is to remind them of their identities in Christ. We may be tempted, and it may be easy to read the passage before, to love your brother, to not hate your brother, and the passage after, to not love the world, and think that these are great, wonderful guidance for the sinner. But hear me, this is impossible for the unregenerate. That's why John is writing it. It is impossible to live in the world as a Christian, among Christians, and yet not be of God. So John says, you are in Christ. So then conversely, it is all the more possible and more plainly a fact that those who are born of God will keep God's commands, among others, who will keep God's commands. These addresses are surely to comfort them. We take comfort as well. And so we see in verse 12, he uses the general address, I am writing to you, little children. And this refers not to age, but rather from John's fatherly love for all. He uses this same address at the beginning of this chapter 
in chapter 3, verse 7, and in chapter 3, 18, so verse 12 is speaking to them broadly. And let's look at verse 12 and see how he structures this sentence. And specifically, yeah, look at verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his namesake. Each sentence following starts with I, a personal address from the apostle, a personal address from their pastor saying, I care for you for as little children. This is then followed by the action, I am writing to you or I have written to you saying, I care for you specifically who I am writing. So the great apostle John is then writing specifically followed by the conjunction, because, which links the action preceding, I have written, or I am writing, to the justification following. So what is the justification for John writing? Why is he writing to them? Is it because they're great people? Is it because of their exceeding merit? Is it because John is great and he is the last living apostle? No. See the end of verse 12. Because your sins have been forgiven you for his namesake. Hear this, church. Hear this, forgiven saints and those who were dead and condemned in sin with no hope of escape. God, the holy and righteous and perfect and all-powerful creator of everything, put the reputation of his name as the surety of your forgiveness of sin. And this fact is the basis of your obedience to Him. He put the reputation of His name for His namesake as the surety of your forgiveness of sin. And this fact in you is the basis for your obedience. Your sins are not being forgiven or in the process of covering or progressively being dealt with that you may hope you walk out of here in some way covered in in a higher way than you were before, but in fact your sins are forgiven, past tense. And for the sake of His glory and His promise and His namesake, He made you alive, a new creation. Therefore, you are able to love one another rejecting, hating one another, and you are able to not love the lusts of the world, rejecting them instead. So please hear Romans 6.22, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification in the outcome, eternal life. We were once slaves to sin, but no longer. And John has spoken broadly in verse 12, generally to all Christians in fellowship. And now looks, let us look briefly at the address John gives specifically. The next references refer, I think, to spiritual maturity and not merely age. And all are learning. The fathers, the young men, and the young are learning and saved by the sake of Christ. Therefore, love each other. The young know the Father because the Father has made them alive. And inevitably, these young in the faith would be learning from the fathers, learning from those more mature, and such be ignorant of some things in life. And the fathers would need to teach them. And we understand this reality throughout other epistles that we grow in maturity from milk unto solid food. 
And the fathers who have been around longer than the children or the young men are appealed to remember him who has been from the beginning. The young men are strong in the strength of youth, yet without the wisdom of those more mature. And how do they overcome the evil one? Because they are born of God, according to 1 John 4. And how does the word of God abide in them? Because God has written it on their heart. And we are reminded here of the armor of God in Ephesians 6, which you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, and specifically the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the method by which we overcome the evil one with God's word because we're born of God and not by our own vigorous youth. And for more, let's read on this in Titus 2, 1 through 8. Please turn there with me. Titus 2, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. And finally, we see a progression here that is true in life. The battle is harder as our walk goes on. You young, you've been saved by the purpose of God for the sake of His promise. You need the shepherding of your fathers and those more mature than you. And you young men, strong in your passion and physical prowess, you have overcome the evil one. Not because of your prowess, not because of vigor, but because we don't war with weapons of flesh, 2 Corinthians 10.4, but rather with every word of God. And you fathers, you've been awakened to God who has been from the beginning, well before your time. Be humble before your God, not growing weary with those who are immature and desperately need your wisdom. Do this so that they can stand with you in the gates, Psalm 127.5. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble, James 4.6. For you save an afflicted people, but haughty eyes you abase. Psalm 18, 27. And O love the Lord, all you godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. Psalm 31, 23. So Christian fellowship is marked by a common identity in Christ. And please look at me, look with me at our last verses in First John two fifteen through seventeen. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. 
The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Please see a distinction here that is present throughout Holy Scripture before we start. What world is this John is referring? In Scripture, we'll see three different ways that the world is referenced. The world physically, the world of people, or the world and its lusts. And so this can't be referring to the world specifically, for in Genesis 1.28, He has set mankind over His creation to steward it. And two, it can't be referring to the world of people. For God loved the people He made and so purposed to save the elect from before the foundation of the world and sheds His common grace on all mankind for the rain falls on the wicked and the righteous, Matthew 5.45. And so this must be talking about the appetites of the world, the lusts of the world in which we were formerly enslaved. Therefore, as you love each other, do not love the world. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. So the contrast is between love of the Father and love of the world. Remember, those who are in Christ are changed permanently. And so is their fellowship, both with believers and unbelievers. And John will write in chapter 5 that at the end that we know we are born of God and that the whole world there's that word again, is in the power of the evil one. So the fellowship of Christians love God, not the sin that separates us from Him. We see that these two loves are incompatible. They're hostile to each other, unable to be kept together within the same person, for they are at eternal odds. For what does rebellion have with eternal life? Remember, love of God manifests in keeping His commandments and loving the children of God. And so we see that the law of Christ abides in us to change our desires. Remember, this is a commandment and a warning to not love the world. Hear that in the light that you have the Spirit of Christ within you. So He will change our desires. And we see that this rebellion is in gratifying the flesh and its appetites. So they are opposed. These two loves are opposed, as Paul says, satisfy the things of the, fle- of the Spirit, and you won't serve the flesh. Galatians 5.16 The lust of the flesh rejects making your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him. Romans 12.1 The lust of the eyes as they feed the heart's appetites rejects laying up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy, Matthew 6.20. And the boastful pride of life rejects, let he who boasts, boasts in the Lord, Jeremiah 9.24. So the lusts and pride gratify the base desire of the godless. Let's see a distinction here. The lusts and the gratification of the lust, both the passion and the action are opposed to God. For he says it is the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. These are all before an action. And these lusts are not according to the will of God, nor the rebellion within and the way it manifests outward. These are not part of our life, Christian, 
for we have been born of God. And it's fitting for an apostle to write such things to those in Christ, urging them to war against them. Please turn with me to James chapter 4, verse 1 through 10. Should just be a couple books to the left. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. See if you can hear the undoing of Christian fellowship in these verses. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. But God... He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. The lusts are of the world, as we've said. Yet those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Galatians 5.24 And remember, the one who does the will of God, as we've said, we will do the will of God because we're born of God, lives forever. The lusts that separate us from God will never be gratified, for they are not of God. The endless pit will ever be poured into and never overflow, and this itch of lust will never be quelled by more gratification. It will never be finished, this search for satisfaction. It isn't permanent. It isn't worthy of attention, for it will pass away. And where have we seen all of these on display? Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Hear Genesis 3.6 and see if you can hear the three ways that we are warned to not love the world. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it is a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she saw, lusted with her eyes, salivated over the delight to the flesh, and supposed she could be and boast as one as wise as God. There are many ways this lust manifests in our day and in all ages past, whether in homosexuality, fornication, transgenderism, the child sacrifice and abortion, the adultery of pornography, the ingratitude of gluttony or laziness, or the carnal, never-ending search for pleasure, or social media's glorification of slander and gossip and self-worship, or the never-ending desire for wealth and the love for money, but at their root, at their bottom, at their core, at their common source, is love for the world, not love for God. And here is the point to a believer. Do not love these things. 
though their siren call is strong. Do not love these things, for they are not of the Father who saved you. Do not love these things, for they are passing away like grass that withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. Isaiah 48. Instead, you saints, do not fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. 1 Timothy 6.17 Your Father loves to give you good gifts. As our Lord who formed us said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? Matthew 7.11 Here is the point to an unbeliever. You are enslaved to these lusts but they will never satisfy. Man's heart was made for God. Repent, come to Christ, for the water He gives will ever satisfy your soul and your longing, for He made them and spring up within you unto eternal life. John 14, or 4, 14. So we see that it is incompatible for those in Christ to love the world. And thus it is impossible for us to celebrate these lusts that enslave men and destroy their souls. For church, who would consider it loving to rejoice in wickedness? This is the wickedness that Christ paid for and He purchased us from. So how could Christian fellowship be marked by a love for sin? And this month in our country is a very celebration of wickedness from governments to businesses across the spectrum, and ironically, the name of the month is pride. The very thing that we know as Christians is our undoing before God. Church, we must not celebrate this. We must have no part in celebrating that which separates men and God. And woe to the churches that do, that do celebrate this. Oh, that those who profess our Savior would repent and return to God. And oh, that our nation would repent for this. But church, what are we to do when we see our leaders praising wickedness? Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, that we are to pray for our leaders. Unequivocally. And so we will do that now. Pray with me. Dear Father, we are the church. Those bought by you. And you command us to pray for our leaders near and far. So I do that now, Lord. I pray for presidents and vice presidents, Congress and mayors, governors, legislators, judges, leaders of... I'm not, I'm not done, guys. <laughs> I pray that they would return to you, Father. I pray that you would bless their efforts to lead as those who are under authority of you. In Christ's name, amen. And unfortunately, I'm not done yet, but thank you for the background music. You may stay there if you like. Undoubtedly, we who are in Christ are tempted to boast of the flesh, to let others know our accomplishments so that they may think highly of us. And hear this, church. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Proverbs 27.2 
Look instead for the praise of the Father saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Matthew 25, 21. We may be tempted of the lust of the eyes to acquire and acquire, but beloved, these are passing away in the love that motivates it. We may be tempted to lust, may be tempted in the lust of the flesh, which arguably is the loudest among the calls for gratification. And often the addictions to pornography for men and increasingly women accompany many other lies attaching themselves. As we've said, Ephesians 6 says, the word of God is our weapon. Let us attach each, attack each lust with the truths of God which endure forever. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. And in conclusion, Christian fellowship, that which is so foreign to this world but glorious above all earthly things, is marked by love for one another in Christ, our new identity in Christ, and love for God, not sin, in Christ. Do you see a pattern? Church, we are united with Christ. Remember our main doctrine, those who are in Christ are changed permanently, and so is their fellowship. And in our text, our focus has been that the commandment of God is to love one another and to love God. And look closer at the result of Adam and Eve's love for the world. How or what happened? If we read the rest of Genesis 3, we see immediately that they saw they were naked and hid themselves. So their relationship with God was ruined and they immediately started blaming each other with rebellion. So we see that a loss of love for God both ruined their relationship and their relationship with each other. And shortly after, Cain murders Abel. So this love for God is primary and proceeds. But what happened? God didn't leave us this way. He sent his light into the world to renew our love for God and love for one another. He sent his son to pay for our sin and reconcile us to him. And he gave us his spirit to make us co-heirs with his son and conform us into the image of his son. This lust will never be satisfied. But the bottomless well grace of God that covers our iniquity will never run dry. The endless attention of God towards his blood-bought children will never be drained. For the light is come into the world healing our blind hatred of one another, breaking down the wall of hostility that exists between man. And he breaks this down how? By uniting us with Christ, as we've said, so that there is no longer any Scythian or Jew or Greek or slave or free, but in Christ all are united. Colossians 3.11 And if we are not to hate our brother or sister, if we are to walk in the light instead, if we are to hold fast to our identity in Christ and to reject the loves of this world, we must be watchful where these are practiced and made uh, and uh, congratulated. And where do we see these come together? I would submit to you that they come together often in social media. Church, watch yourselves that you do not train yourself to hate your brother or sister for this medium trains many to do so. And take care that you not portray yourself as something caring for the boasting of life, for this medium rewards many that do so. 
And finally, take care that you do not feed the flesh the sins so rampant that quench the Holy Spirit. For this medium provides many stumbling blocks and sinful traps, both to display and to be swept away in. And last of all, I said there was a fourth one. Last of all, these loves and Christian fellowship are summed up in this contentment. Contentment. Church, our fellowship loves God, and He will give us contentment as a great shield against these things. Christian fellowship is marked by contentment, by thankfulness in God. As David said, the lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. And as Paul says, I have learned the secret of contentment. And finally, our Lord said, when tempted, when fasting for 40 days, man not lives by the bread, by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so in closing, let us examine ourselves, you who claim Christ as your Savior. The commands of this text that we've heard today, to not love the world, to love your brother, and to hold fast your identity in Christ ought to give us a mirror. And this mirror will reveal in us what we desperately need to repent of. For remember, your sins are forgiven, past tense. And as we've said, confession of sin is confession of faith. So as people of the light, bring these sins to the Father. For remember, they are already forgiven. And you who are not in Christ, repent, come to Christ. These promises, these comforts of Christ, of those born of God, can be for you. And in closing, I'd like to pray Psalm 16 over the group, if I can find it. Psalm 16. Please pray with me.